At this time, I want to encourage you to open up your Bible and join me in Luke chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible, open the Bible in front of you up. And if you don't own a Bible, take that Bible with you. Katie shared with me this week, she was stocking the pews, right? She's sitting here in this service. We have one left because people have been taking them. Praise God, that's why they're there. Some people wonder, he says I can take one, but I don't think he means it. I do. People donate so that you can have a Bible if you don't own one. We would love for that to be a gift that we could be used by God to provide you with. So take the Bible in front of you home. But right now, open it up. Our reading today is in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a number of years ago now, as a church, we, during the season of Advent, preparing for Christmas, we read a book by Max Licato. Uh, I know many of you are probably big fans of his writing. He's a pastor and author in Texas. And he wrote a book about Christmas. The title is Because of Bethlehem. And in it, he tells this story about a Methodist medical missionary uh, by the name of George Harley. Uh, the year was 1926, and Harley and his wife, who are newly married, they moved to Liberia to serve a tribe in, in a very remote village. And as part of their service and their missionary work, they built both a clinic and a church. And the, the way that he tells, he's, he's written, Harley has written about his experience, um, eventually the clinic served more than 10,000 people each and every year. It was just an incredible opportunity to serve people. And again, Harley was a doctor. Uh, but for the first five years of their time in their ministry there as missionaries, no one stepped foot in the church. No one came to the chapel. And it was early on in their time together in Liberia that um, the doctor and his wife welcomed their firstborn son into the world. His name was Robert. And Harley writes about how much they loved their son. I'll, I'll read this part to you. He says, how he loved our little boy. But one day when he was almost five years old, I looked out the window of the, the, the medical clinic that I was serving in, and I saw little Bobby, and he was running across the field, and he fell down. And he got up, and he ran some more, and he fell again, and this time he didn't get up, and so I ran out, and I picked up my feverish little boy, and I held him in my arms, and I said, Bobby, don't worry. Your daddy knows how to treat tropical fever. I'm going to help you. You're going to get better. Well, the doctor treated his son in all the ways he knew how, but nothing worked, and tragically, the little boy passed away. And they buried him there in Liberia, and 
There was this old man from the tribe that they were serving who offered to help carry the coffin. And when they placed the coffin in the grave, the father fell to his knees and he just broke down. And I mean, you can imagine, here they are, right? Thousands, this is what he writes, thousands of miles away from family. They're Americans. And so there's no one around them that they know to help bring any kind of solace and comfort in this moment of great need. And here he is, a doctor and a missionary. He should have all of the answers, right? That's what he came to bring to these people are all of the answers. And yet in this moment, he didn't have all of the answers because the reality is nobody has all of the answers. And yet it was in that moment that he writes that the old man that was helping him noticed his weeping. And the next Sunday, the church that they built that was empty for years was full for the first time ever. And the reason was because for the first time they saw humanity in the grief of the missionary father. And when they saw his brokenness and his humanity, they thought maybe his faith, not just his medicine, could provide something that we need in the brokenness of our humanity as well. And I thought of that story this week. And I thought, is that not Christmas? Is that not the true story of Christmas? As we're in this series, a weary world rejoices. Even your preacher has got a weary voice this morning just to, to feed into the illustration. It reminds us that, that it is in the midst of weariness that God chose to come down into this very real and weary world as a very real human person of Jesus. Jesus, if you read his life, was not himself above being weary and even the details surrounding his entrance into the world points us to that truth i think about church history and i think about what we've learned over the generations about missionary work and and what people really need from those who go to far places to serve them is to see that we are just like them and that they are just like us and i say that because Our history includes some pretty dark seasons of times where we've been participants and we have entered into places through crusades where that was certainly not the case. But yet even good times where good things that we bring like building hospitals and churches to remote African villages, it's only important if it comes from a place where the people doing it recognize that the people that they're serving are just like them, that we are no different. And this comes from the core of our faith as followers of Christ because we follow a tradition of a God who came into this world just like we did. It's Paul's words in Philippians chapter 2. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in this in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Friends, our, our reading today from the Gospel of Luke highlights just how human and real and weary the conditions were on that first Christmas. 
For example, here we see in, in front of us that, that the coming of Jesus was announced by an angel to shepherds. Now, you, you probably don't need to know a whole lot of, of, of church history or biblical history to know that shepherds were not the religious elite. These were not the folks that were wealthy and powerful. They were the unlikely choice to have an announcement made to them that was of such significance. And yet we read again in Luke chapter 2 that an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring to you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. There will be, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And all of this is said to shepherds. You know how moms, and, 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 and when we were growing up, our moms probably said this too, if your room was messy or you were careless around the house, they would say, we don't live in a barn, right? Any moms say that? Show of hands. Did your mom say that? Well, shepherds do live in a barn. <laughs> or, or worse, they live with the animals outside of a barn. They don't even have a roof over their heads. And yet that is the real, true story of Christmas. Even the timing of this is weary. The angel appeared at night. And I know how we like to think of that story when we tell it with the kids like we will next week. But this week, as I was thinking about this text and studying it, it was right in the middle of the week, my 14-month-old son, Grayson, decided not to sleep all night. <laughs> he was getting over something. And so what did I do? I did just like the shepherds. I kept watch. It was my turn, and so I got him up, and I brought him into the living room, and it was all hours of the night that I was up rocking my son. And it was not picturesque, just like the live nativities that we all like to see. I was sitting in the living room thinking to myself, I really wish I could just go to bed. It's what I was, what I was thinking, and I'm looking at this, and I'm like, man, the same thing is true for the shepherds. We're not made to stay up all night, even if you have a third shift job, right? We're not wired. It's hard on everything when that is what we do. And yet that was the moment that the angel came to the shepherds. And, and I know we like to tell it in this picturesque story, but I don't think that that's what it was. And then we look and see other parts of the story, like the angel said that, that the baby Jesus would be born and he would, found, he would be found being placed in a what? Anybody? A manger, right? The angel said that he would be found in a manger. Now, if you look at synonyms for manger, you will not find pack and play. <laughs> you, will, you will not find um, crib. You will not find bed. What you will find are things like feeding trough. Or slobber buckets. And I said at the first service that I don't even think farmers would choose the first place to place their children as a manger because they know that it is not a healthy, safe, and clean place for a kid. And actually, the Ellsworths are sitting there. I asked Gary Lance if, if you were placed in a manger in a feeding trough when you were born, and he said you were not. And I just... I assumed it wasn't because he didn't want to, but it's because your mom said that that wasn't okay. But, but see, we, anybody, if you, if, you, if you're not a farmer, if you've been through the barns at the fair, right, you see that the place in which an animal eats is not clean. It's not the first place you would choose 
to place a child, and yet that is where Jesus was placed. And, and how quickly do we, we try to sanitize the story, right? Even in the songs that we sing, like Away in a Manger, does anybody like that song in particular? It's a fun song, right? Just not quite biblical, right? The way it goes, Away in a Manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. I mean, that's all fine, right? But then you get to the next part. The cattles are lowing. The baby awakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. You know how I know that's not true? He was born in a barn. <laughs> right? Jesus couldn't say, were you born in a barn? Because he was born in a barn. And then you got the whole cattles are lowing and the baby awakes. And I think, my goodness, Mary and Joseph, if that was my house, then Mary would have said to Joseph, Joseph, did you wake up the cattles again? They're going to wake up the baby. Like, this is what the real story of Christmas is. The real story of Christmas is chaos. The real story of Christmas is weariness. The real story of Christmas is dirty. The real story of Christmas is broken. It's almost as if God goes to incredible lengths for us to understand that Christmas is not about just the circumstances of the story. It's actually not about the circumstances surrounding it at all. All that matters is what it's about, and that is Jesus. Jesus coming into a slobbery, tired, weary, broken world. And when it all becomes about Jesus... All those other details become less important. One of my favorite hymns is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. If you know the words, you can say it with me. And the things on earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. God wanted so bad for us to turn our eyes to Jesus, that he even had his infant son placed in a manger of all places, had him placed in nothing so that our eyes would not get distracted by the reality that everything was placed inside. I was thinking about this this week, and a couple of years ago I shared this story. I think it was right at the beginning of the pandemic. Alyssa lost her wedding ring, and um, thankfully, no, so... Story for another day, this was the second time this ring was lost. It was stolen uh, a number of years into our, our marriage. And so by the second time that it got lost, we said, you know what? We're not going to replace it with the same ring. I think we need to get a different ring. And, and so thankfully, there was some insurance coverage, and so we got some. But that didn't cover the whole thing, and so we had to save up for about a year in order to be able to buy one. And she picked out this ring, and it was beautiful and, and, and all of this stuff, and it was ready. And so I went to the store to surprise her, and, and I went to pick it up, and they gave it to me. And the ring was beautiful, but they put it in a box that was not. <laughs> It was actually a really cheap box. It was kind of falling apart and chintzy. And it was like, oh, my goodness. Like, like, what is this? And so what did we do? Of course, when we brought the ring home, we threw away the box and we kept the ring. And I thought about Jesus being placed in a manger. It's not about the manger. 
doesn't matter. I didn't buy the box. I bought the ring, right? It's not about the manger. It's about the baby in the manger. And, and let me say that this is good news for anybody who all of the trappings around Christmas is not joyful for because it's not about the trappings around Christmas it's about the baby. It's about Jesus. That's what the season is about. And so for you, if Christmas is, is, is actually movies about idealized families that remind you that your family is not the ideal, if Christmas is holiday sales that remind you that your bank account is far too empty to provide the gifts that your heart so desperately desires to give, if focusing on everything around Christmas doesn't bring you comfort and good tidings and great joy, then the invitation to you and me is to focus on the one in the manger. Focus on the one who brought us joy in the midst of weary things. Watch the weary things on earth grow strangely dim as the most important thing Jesus comes into focus. It's what we see when we look back at the shepherds. Verse 13, it says, Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, now notice these words. This is, is the great company of heavenly hosts singing with the angels. Glory to God in the highest heaven. On earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is the angels we have heard on high, right? Gloria and Excelsis Deo. This is, this is what this means. And it's two parts. The first part is that there are praises that are filled with praising God, not for anything that he has done, not for the circumstances around them, but simply for who God is. See, the praise is glory to God in the highest heaven. In other words, you could say this is saying glory to God for being God. And that's the highest form of praise, and we know that because it's also the highest form of praise for us. And the Advent candle wreath this week, we, we normally in the church traditionally today would be joy, but we're going to save joy for next week with the kids. And so we lit the candle for love. And we know that on a human level, to be praised, there's no higher praise, there's no higher form of someone loving you than someone who comes to you and says, I love you not for what you've done, not for the circumstances around our relationship, but I love you for who you are. That's it. And so that's the first part of the praise. It is a love for God, for who he is. And in the season of Christmas, I want to say that, that if you're excited about the trappings, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with thanking God for your family and Christmas cookies and jobs and gifts. But, but that, that book, um, because of Bethlehem, Max Licato, he, he writes this in the book. He says, don't confuse the gifts with the giver. We're called to worship the giver. Say that with me because I think we all need that reminder. Don't confuse the gifts. Like the angels were called to worship Jesus. That's what it's about. 
And that doesn't mean that we can't get excited about Christmas cookies and presents and Santa. I was just talking with a grandfather just this week here at church about all of those things and that you can have fun with all of those things as long as those things don't take the priority. And that has to be said because how often do they take the priority? I have to say that pastorally, but I also have to say that personally because I need the reminder too. And we need the reminder because the world is weary. And if we want to hear the part of the Christmas story that brings peace to our weary souls, we need to get past the trappings around it. We need to get past the manger. True peace is only found on whom his favor rests. That's the second part of the praise of the heavenly hosts. Real peace is what a weary world needs. And and these words were written at a time and place in history known as Pax Romana. This is Roman peace. It was a time of relative peace under the Roman Empire that was, it, it, it was found through force. There was this incredible militaristic authoritarian force over the entire region that said, follow Caesar or else. And yes, that kept some level of peace, but you can imagine anxiety during that time in history was through the roof. And so it was at that time that the angel came and that the hosts sang glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. It was announced that Jesus would come to bring peace that was not found in compliance or force, but as a gift that we can't earn, that we can't buy, that it can't be found in even the most perfect present or stockings hung perfectly by the chimney with care or even the most peaceful times in the world. Ultimately, it is only found in the knowledge and the reality that Jesus came to call you and me friend of God. I think about the way in which John tells the story of Jesus. This is one of the four Gospels. And at the very end, he says, this is why I wrote this book to tell the story of Jesus. He says this. He says that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And with that life comes peace. With that life comes peace. And on that first Christmas, God came all the way down from heaven to bring us that peace, especially to those who are weary. And so the angel comes and says these words to weary shepherds. And the truth is, this is not the first time in the Bible that God draws close to a shepherd. If you've read the rest of the story, you look at the very beginning in Genesis. Abraham, the father of God's chosen people, Israel, was a shepherd, right? He was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. King David, in his early years, was a shepherd. And one of the reasons theologians have said for years that God comes close to shepherds is because God has a kinship with shepherds. I think it's for two reasons. The first one is that in Jesus, God knows what it's like to be weary. But the second, the most important reason, is that God himself is a shepherd too. What does Psalm 23 say? The Lord is my what? Shepherd. I lack 
nothing. The Lord is our shepherd, and Jesus would come to be the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks in the flock, the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The question that we're left with on this third Sunday of Advent at this this last sermon of the Advent season before we celebrate the coming of Jesus on Christmas is where are you this year? Where are you this Christmas? Are you, are you in a place where you are filled with joy, overflowing in your life with miraculous blessings, or are you weary like a shepherd watching his flock at night or a dad watching his 14-month-old in the middle of the night? No matter where you are, I want you to know that in both cases, God is the same. God is the same. It isn't about the trappings all around us any more than my wife's ring was about the box or Christmas is about the manger. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He is the gift. He is the one that brings us peace. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Let's watch. When I was a kid, there was this one day I was troubled about something. I don't even remember what it was. My father noticed, and um, he comes over to me, and he places his hands on my head. And he says, Shalom, son. Do you know what that means? Yes, I nodded. I said, I meant peace. Then my daddy, he, uh, he knelt beside me. And he took my face in his big calloused shepherd's hands. And he said, yes, peace, but more. And then he put a finger on my heart. And he said, shalom. God's highest and most complete good be upon you. That is my prayer. For you, my son. He left his staff with me, and I've looked for it, what he mentioned, shalom, all these years. When the angels came, there was no hint of wind, no clouds just stars so many stars he showed himself to us <laughs> suddenly 
And there was an angel brighter than stars who spoke and said, do not be afraid. I have good news. Your savior has... Your savior has been born. And he lies in a manger. And then quiet, as if the whole world is waiting to breathe. A savior, God's highest and most greatest good for us, for me. And then suddenly, multitudes of angels shattered, shattered the silence, saying, glory, glory, glory. God is on earth. His peace on earth. <laughs>